Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are here and our hope is that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue with our series on the Holy Spirit, Ruach, the breath of God. Today we see how the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth and sets us free from the things that have kept us trapped in guilt and shame. Hi church, what a joy and privilege it is to share God's word with you all today. As you know, we've been doing the Holy Spirit series which is Ruach, the breath of God, and today we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The verse we're going to be looking at is John chapter 16 verses 13 and this is what it says, "But when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come." We're living in a time when a lot of young people say this uh, common usage. You know, they use this phrase which says, uh, "I'm living my truth." And so, what it actually means is, I'll do whatever I want; anything goes. Don't ask me questions because this is my truth. the The joke is that the real truth is out there, and that truth is embodied in the person of Jesus. And so, today, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about Him being the Spirit of Truth, because according to this verse, it says He will guide us into all truth. Which means the pursuit of truth is a lifelong process, and gradually, as we get to know our Lord more and more, the Holy Spirit guides us. You know, every step of the way, teaching us what's right, what's wrong, exposing parts of our life where there is falsity, and and really, basically, guiding us every step of the way. That's what He says here. He will guide you into all truth. You know the minute we are saved if he exposes all the truth of everything to us it will just be a huge load we can't bear it so it's a lifelong process the second thing he says is he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he has heard the spirit of god reveals the heart of god that's a very important thing and that's how we know the truth about certain things and the third thing it says that he will tell you what is to come he speaks of our future I want to ask you you know when I was meditating on this verse it really got me thinking as to God you know what I'm not actually harness the holy spirit as he deserves to be harnessed as he deserves to be used in my life I have literally had him on the sidelines and used him used him as I saw fit but I didn't incorporate him and just infuse him completely into my life and so today as we step into this this study My desire for each of us is that we will open our lives up, drop the facade. We will drop our walls and say, you know what, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit, all of Him, reveal the truth about my life, reveal the areas which are so false that I've tricked myself into believing it's the truth. Only the Holy Spirit does that, and I want you to relax and believe this: that this is not an exercise where the Holy Spirit wants you to be embarrassed or ashamed. Not at all. His purposes are higher than what we understand. All he wants to do is to come in, speak to us, help us, guide us. That's his desire. So even as we get into this, I want us to remember that you know this whole passage about the Holy Spirit and what he longs to do, all of it is contingent on us giving him access. If we don't ask him in, if we don't say, "Lord, come in spirit of truth, work in me." work on me if we don't give him that access he's not going to be able to do what he does someone once said that the holy spirit is a gentleman he doesn't come in where he's not invited he waits for us to invite him in 
I want to ask you today, are you asking the Holy Spirit for this? What does the Holy Spirit look like to you? Is he the spirit of truth? I want us to take a few seconds just to settle ourselves down and to ask God, Lord, reveal things in my life. Reveal those things which I've deceived myself with. Reveal those opinions which are clearly false, but I've believed it's true. Work on the things that I've believed about you, God, that are false. Work on that. Can we ask God to do that? Father, we just pray, even as we get into your word, that you will speak to each of us. Each of us would come before you with honesty, Lord, and be open to what you are going to do in our lives, spirit of truth. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we we all have so many opinions. In my family, um, my whole family, all of us are very opinionated. And I very graciously pass that on to my children. So all of us are extremely opinionated about something or the other. So, you know, and, and I notice in my husband's family too, there are a lot of opinions that they have. So combined, we are a very opinionated family. And so we have opinions on everything from vaccines to theology to the rapture. You name it, we have an opinion on it. But the truth of the matter is this, when the spirit of truth is part of our lives, when the Holy Spirit is part of our lives, He brings truth to those opinions. And so we need to be open to the fact that He's going to change those opinions. We need to be open that He will correct our theology. We need to be open to the fact that the things we think our education has taught us and we know for a fact by logic is is the right thing, He probably is going to come and change that because He is the Spirit of truth. So today, I want us to look at the life of King David because he is someone that I have been, when I have studied the Bible, what I find about him is when it comes to him and the Holy Spirit, they're just one. And you know, David was called a man after God's own heart. And I truly believe that's because David was so anointed by the Spirit of God that he just knew what God expected of him. He was so knit together with the Heavenly Father. And so therefore, I want to look at King David today and and see what his life can teach us about allowing the spirit of truth to work in us. But before we look at King David, I want to look at a contrasting character and that's King Saul. So now you probably know the story of Saul. If you don't, Saul was the first king of Israel. He was chosen because the people demanded for a king. They told Samuel the prophet, enough, we want a king like the other nations. And this displeased God, but still God and his kindness anoints Saul for the job. And Saul was physically imposing, a head taller than everyone else. And he was a good ruler to begin with. He was anointed by God and he had incredible strengths. But unfortunately, over two big instances, Saul actually disobeyed God, blatant, outright disobedience. And because of those two incidences, God rejects him and God rejects his dynasty. So there is, he says, I don't want your family to rule over Israel and I don't want you as king anymore. That was what those two instances led to. What were the two instances? The first time was when Saul was supposed to go into battle with the Philistines and Samuel had told him to wait for seven days until Samuel came and helped him offer the sacrifice. Now what happened was Saul got jittery because Samuel was nowhere to be seen. And the the sacrifices are waiting to be offered and the people are starting to wander off. You know, fear of losing his people drove him to instead take the sacrifice and offer it himself. And right after he sacrifices, talk about bad timing, Samuel walks in 
And Samuel says, what you've done has displeased God. And so the second occasion where Saul actually messes up was a couple of years later when he's asked by God, expressly asked, you need to annihilate the Amalekites. Okay, that was the instruction. Kill everyone from the greatest, from the king, the royalty, to the animal, the livestock. Everything has to go. And here Saul, you know, um, in, in I, I, honestly, I felt sorry for Saul. When I studied this, I felt like, you know what, I can relate to Saul on some level. So Saul does what was asked. He does kill the men and the women and, the, and he was about to kill the king. But he retains the choicest livestock and other things. And then Samuel comes to him and says, you know what, this time God's really upset with you because he does not want a sacrifice of rams in use. Instead, he's looking for obedience. He's looking for a king who will obey him and you are not that king. And so God outright rejects him and says, I've chosen someone else, a neighbor to you, who's a man after my own heart. He's going to be king in your place. Now, when you look at how Saul reacts to the correction on his life, it's a lot like each of us, which is why I think I had so much of empathy for him. Saul justifies his actions. He says, you know what, but I did exactly what you said. He explains it away. He says, I, I did what you said, but then I, I thought I'll do a bit extra. You know, I thought I will keep some stuff to sacrifice for God. He lies. He, he covers it up. He tries to make it, make the situation look better than it actually is. And the sad thing was that his partial obedience was actually complete disobedience in the eyes of God. And so that's how Saul reacted to correction. And, and I don't know about you, but I could re relate to that. So often I've minimized sin in my life. I've minimized what I've done. I've made it look like it's not such a big deal. I've explained it away. I've justified it. So much like Saul right there. But I don't think that's the response that is required of us. Those of us who know the Lord our response has to be very different when we're confronted by the truth. And so let's look at King David. Let's look at what David was about. You look at David. David was a young shepherd boy chosen from the fields around Bethlehem. He was anointed and he was called and given the throne. And he had to wait a long time before he became the king. But when he did become king, God did some amazing, amazing things in his life. But David did have fatal flaws. He did have kinks in the armor, so to speak. He was not perfect, far from it, actually. And so what David does is once he's completely well settled in his uh, kingship, he makes two huge mistakes, one towards the beginning of his uh, career as a king and one towards the end of his career. The first mistake he makes was in the case of Bathsheba. Okay, so Bath Bathsheba was the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah. And Bathsheba was this woman who was exceedingly beautiful, had a bath in the uh, open right next to his palace. Talk about enticing a man. And David, who was supposed to be at war, was on the terrace. And he fell a prey to this, this uh, lustful proposition and David sinned. David slept with her and a child comes out of that union. And so David doesn't stop there. He decides to drag the deception out. What does he do? He calls Uriah in from the field and says, Uriah was at ba in battle at the time. He says, come home. And he tries to set them up so that it looked like it's Uriah's child. But that doesn't work. And then David resorts to the next thing, which is murder. He gets him assassinated in the battlefront. Okay, now David thought he had covered all fronts. He had closed up all the holes. He was safe. 
But then God sends Nathan the prophet and speaks to him and he says, hey, guess what? You have sinned. You have displeased God. And the child that is born to you now is going to die. And David, you know, his response is just is beautiful because he first falls before God and he says, I have sinned against God. Yes, he did he sin against Uriah? Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. But he also acknowledged primarily that he had sinned against God. And then he cries out for the child and what happens is that the child does die. And Nathan doesn't stop there. He speaks over his family line. He says, what you did in secret, people close to you are going to do it in public. And that's what happens because a few years down the line, Absalom does that to him. David's repentance was instantaneous and was deeply genuine. It wasn't a, it wasn't drama. It wasn't just, you know, face value. It was the real thing. Fast forward many years, it's the end of David's lifetime. And all of a sudden it says that the enemy incited David and asked him to take a census of the people. Now, what does this indicate? David knew his fighting men. He had mighty men. He had uh, an army which was filled with men who were exceptional in war. But yet, towards the end of his life, it's probably that he lost a bit of faith. Maybe he thought, I need to check whether I still have my, you know, military might of, of days of old. Or maybe he just thought, you know what, maybe I need to, you know, ramp up my military uh, strength. We don't know what incited him to do it. Maybe it was a sense of pride. Let me see how much I actually have and see what I've accomplished all these years. We don't know what it was. But again, it really triggered God's anger towards him and the people of the land. And so God sends word to him through Gad the prophet. And this time again, he says straight up, you've sinned. You missed the mark. And so here's the options. I give you three options. This is what the prophet tells him. He says, I give you three options. Choose your punishment. And so David picks the punishment that he says, you know what, I'd rather fall under the hands of God than against people. So he chooses that the land would go through a plague for three days. And that's what happens. A terrible plague ravages the land. And 70,000 Israelites die that in the, over the course of the next three days. And on the third day, the angel of death is over a particular spot when the Lord relents and stops him. And you know what David's response to that is? He rushes to the spot where the angel of death was at last. And he goes there and he buys that field from the person who owned it. And he sets up an altar and he worships God. He does the same thing after his son is dead too with Bathsheba. When he hears that his child has died, he cleans up, he worships God. That is David's response to correction. So when you look at the two men, Saul and David, it's very interesting. They were both kings. They were both anointed by God. What was the difference? I think fundamentally the difference was this. Saul did not have a personal relationship with God. He needed Samuel to always be the mediator. He needed Samuel there like his crutch. He seemed to have not got the confidence to approach God directly. He needed Samuel to be the front. You know, and say, you know what, Samuel, come and stand with me while I worship. Don't let me down in front of the elders. So worship with me. Offer the sacrifices with me. After Samuel's time, you know, after Samuel dies, Saul's left bereft of a counselor. And so he starts to go and talk to a necromancer, a medium, and says, you know what? Call up the spirit of Samuel for me. 
That's how dependent Saul was on a mediator. He needed someone to stand in the gap for him and intercede for him. He didn't realize that he was the king of Israel. He had direct access to this Jehovah God. He could have just spoken up and he would have heard him. He always needed a mediator, whereas David had this different approach. He didn't need anyone to stand in the gap for him. He had direct access to his father. He wrote songs of out of his out of the futile seasons of his life. He wrote it when he was joyous. He wrote it when he was broken. He wrote it when he was on the run from enemies. Such an open relationship with his God. So that's the fundamental difference. Saul, no relationship with God. David, a very deep relationship with God. Saul needed a mediator. David didn't need anyone. Saul was a people pleaser. He needed the people's validation in order to feel like he was actually accomplishing something. Whereas David said, I will become even more undignified than this in his worship of his God. He didn't care about who was around him, who was watching. None of that. It was him and his audience of one. This was the two kings the first two kings of Israel who reigned, who had successful long reigns, but there was great differences in their lives. And so the beauty of David's life is this, you know, when you read the Psalms, you need to look at it from an angle, not of a rant of a crazy man, but actually the the uh, expression of a man who was incredibly close to God. And so he knew God's heart. Why? Because he had the spirit of God in his life. He knew exactly what was on God the Father's heart. He knew what was to come because the Holy Spirit was prophesying through him. There are many messianic psalms which were written about Jesus. How did David know that? It was because of the Holy Spirit in him. So we're looking at uh, one of the writings of David in particular, which was Psalm 51, which is a lament. So after he sinned and he was reproached, he writes this psalm. And it's a beautiful psalm because it expresses to us exactly what God's heart is towards us, his people. And so I want to take our attention to Psalm 51 verse 6. And this is what it says. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me know wisdom. So the first thing we need to remember here is that God desires truth in the innermost parts. We're so good with the superficial. We're so good with what everyone sees. And sometimes even that with a filter or with a, you know, a bit of editing, we can cover that up. But God desires truth in the innermost part. That's what it says. So that's the first thing about God that we see from this psalm. The second thing is Psalm 51 verses 16 to 17. It says, for you do not delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. My only sacrifice to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken with sorrow for sin, thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. God desires a truly repentant heart, not someone who just does, you know, goes through the you know motions of repentance, just says, you know, I'm sorry. Not someone who needs a mediator to say sorry to. And, you know, just sometimes we feel if I just confide, you know, what I did to someone, I'm sorted. God wants us to directly come to him because it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come before him and repent before him. He is looking for a genuinely repentant heart. And of course, the spirit of God searches all things. And so the Holy Spirit in us will enable us to repent in the way that pleases God. The Holy Spirit within us 
will search the innermost parts of our being and reveal the areas where truth is lacking. If you're wondering, how am I going to do that? Not to worry. That's what Ruach does. That's what the breath of God does. That is what the spirit of God does. His very job in our lives is to work in the deepest parts of us. Because a lot of times when someone says, you know, when, when they talk about this innermost parts, we don't know what the innermost parts are. We don't remember what happened in our lives 20 years back. We don't know what has corrupted our soul. We don't know the things that have shaped us in ways we didn't even know were shaped. But the Holy Spirit does. And so we need to invite him in so that he can create truth in the innermost parts. He will take out what is false and he will reveal truth in those places that he will give us a truly repentant heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so I want us to be, remember just these two things. If you don't remember anything from today, this is what I believe the spirit of truth wants to do in each of our lives. When we looked at both the men of God that we talked about, Saul and David, we did notice that in David, there was genuine conviction. He genuinely repented. He felt terrible for what he did. Whereas with King Saul, we didn't notice that. We didn't notice this feeling of him saying, oh, I messed up before God. Lord, forgive me. That conversation never happens with Saul, but with David, you hear it again and again and again. And so I believe that the first thing the spirit of truth wants to do in our lives is he wants to convict us. Let me explain that a bit. Convict does not mean condemn. He does not want to condemn us because Jesus himself said, I have come not to condemn you, but to save you. The son of man comes not to condemn, but to save so when God convicts us through the Holy Spirit's work, it is not to point out at every error in our life, but instead to bring us to a place of conviction and say, you know what, this is not fitting with someone who knows the Lord now. This particular trait of mine can't be something that I, I dwell on. I need to let it go. This addiction, which is so deeply embroiled in whom I am, Holy Spirit, I'm feeling so convicted about it. You need to sort it out. That's what conviction does. I want us to look at John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. This is what it says. And he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a savior and about righteousness and about judgment, about sin and the true nature of it, because they do not believe in me and my message about righteousness, personal integrity and godly character. Because I am going to my father and you will no longer see me about judgment, the certainty of it. Because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. So from this verse, what do we see that the Holy Spirit is convicting of? He convicts us of sin, the true nature of it. No more can we explain it away or hide it or pretend, you know, you can't see it. No more. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Spirit of Truth comes in, He convicts us of sin. He calls black, black. He doesn't mince words with us. And if there's a, a, a deep-rooted unbelief in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will convict you of that. That's sin. According to this, unbelief in Jesus equals sin. If you don't consider Jesus the Son of God as the Lord of your life, it's a sin. That's what He's saying. And He convicts you of that. The second thing that the Holy Spirit convicts you about is righteousness, moral integrity, godly character. So often, you know, we don't want to talk about morality within the church because we say that's not for us. 
I mean, we want to talk about spiritual things. You know what the, the, the demonstration of the spiritual is in how we live our lives on a daily basis. It's in how I treat my spouse. It's in how I behave with my children. It's in how I treat my family, my extended family, in how I treat the help, in how I run my life in private. That is what counts. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us shaping that righteousness because we are already standing righteous before God thanks to Jesus and his blood on that cross. But still, there are areas in our life which are deeply flawed and the Holy Spirit, thank God for him, works to convict us of those failings. The third thing that he convicts us about is judgment. The impending judgment, the second coming of Jesus, it's imminent. He is returning. He's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a righteous judge. There's no two ways about that. And so how are we living today? Do we live with the understanding that the second coming is near, that he is returning? And so I better be busy about the work that he has set out for me. No more am I going to be lackadaisical and saying, you know what, I can just relax. I'm saved, saved forever. He has work for us. He wants us to do the things required of us until he returns. So that, that those are the things that the Holy Spirit convicts us about. He brings conviction. He doesn't condemn us. You know, when you watch these movies um, where there's a prisoner who's in a court courtroom and then, you know, he, there's a jury and they convict him. What happens is that when he's convicted, he stands, he gets the conviction laid on him. And they say, you know, these are the counts uh, and you're charged under this, uh, you know, code. And now you're they're arresting him and they take him away. And what happens from being in a crowded courtroom, he's now abandoned and put into a jail or a correctional facility where he's literally abandoned by the legal system and his family and all those he loves. But the beauty of, you know, being a Christian is knowing this, that the Holy Spirit convicts me, but he doesn't abandon me. He cleanses me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't leave me, you know, just say, you know what, now you belong to the system, get lost. You're, you're too damaged for me. Not a chance. Not a chance. He, in fact, convicts us. And the next step that he does is he cleanses us. And this cleansing is a lifelong thing. It doesn't just happen on one occasion. Throughout our lives, it's called sanctification. It's, it's a process called sanctification where every single day we are being renewed. You know, these things that are false in our lives, the things that are not of God, when they get revealed, the Holy Spirit says, hey, you know what? If you let me, I'll cleanse you of this. And how does the cleansing happen? Let's look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. And this is what it says. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So from this, you know that we were all sinners. Each one of us were sinners. It says we were misled. We were slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Isn't that the truth? Let's not fool ourselves. We can fool others, but we can't fool ourselves. All of us have had a background of this. But it says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, how did he reveal it? Through Jesus. When he sent Jesus to us, he revealed his love and kindness towards us 
and he has washed us because of his mercy not because of anything you and i did to deserve it it's just purely his mercy he generously pours out the holy spirit on us and because of his grace he has made us right in his sight and given us confidence and so today i want you to come to this secure place that you don't have to be afraid of the truth anymore the truth doesn't have to be this looming shadow over your life you know the, the, we have so many titles that come with the truth we have the ugly truth we have uh, the inconvenient truth the uncomfortable truth all these phrases which have come up hey but you know what jesus is the way the truth and the life when he brings truth into your life he does it for your good he does it not to condemn you but to convict you and he does it without abandoning you he embraces you close and the holy spirit cleanses you how does he cleanse us he gives us new birth it's a spiritual regeneration and transformation paul writes about how because of christ we are a new creation okay so it's literally like he washes us and creates a new person you know a fresh person and he reminds us that you know we're not saved because of our works we're saved because of the grace of god and so when you believe in jesus this grace is afforded to you and now you are cleansed from your sins and the beauty is that now we stand faultless before the throne so you can be confident in this you know that even when the grime of your life the holy spirit shows it up to you you can say to it you know what i know that because of jesus i stand faultless before the throne and so lord forgive me for this sin forgive me for this thing which is like a stain on me but i thank you that you blot out every transgression that's what david writes blot out my iniquity when you blot something it disappears completely and that's what god has done to us since because of jesus's work our sins are forgiven so today whatever your area of deception is maybe you've put up a good wall no one knows maybe people even in your church don't know what you do or what you're engaged in or what secret sins you have hidden very well in your life but the holy spirit knows and he wants to be invited in he is longing to be invited into our lives into even the mess because he says here i want to convict you and i want to cleanse you and you know the beauty of this is you know the the word that comes right after that is he gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life he wants you to live with confidence the holy spirit does not want you to live condemned and in shackles and in shame he wants you to live free and confident that is his desire for us and so i want us to you know really look at this this whole teaching and come to a place of saying holy spirit i trust you i trust you with the mess i trust you with the private dirty parts of my life because i can't tell anyone about it lord but i can tell you you know and i believe i believe that god wants to raise a generation of us who are people after his own heart not just david he wants each of us to be people after his own heart he wants sons and daughters men and women who are after their his own heart and i believe that he wants that today if that is your desire if you're saying you know what i really desire to be a person after god's own heart i want to hear secrets from him i want to know what's going to happen in the future i want to walk in the confidence that comes from being a child of god if you want that 
I ask that you will invite the Holy Spirit in today, that you will say, Spirit of truth, cleanse me. Spirit of truth, convict me. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 11 says this, This is why the scriptures say things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine. These are the many things God has in store for all his lovers. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God, his thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. If you and I want to be people after God's own heart, we have to give room for the Holy Spirit. And when we give him room, like that first verse says, ask him, Lord, guide me into all truth. Show me the future, Lord. That's what your Holy Spirit has been given to me for. Show me the Father's heart. Whisper to me the things that the Father wants me to hear. Whisper to me the things that the Son wants me to hear. I want to hear from you. I want to have your heart. You know, imagine how different our businesses would be if we ran it with this perspective. Imagine how different our careers would be if we ran it with this thought. Imagine how different our homes would be if this is the perspective we looked at it with. And so I believe God wants to do a new thing in our lives. He wants us to come to a place of saying enough, enough of the deception, enough of those facades that don't make any sense anymore. I want truth, Lord. I want truth in my life. And if you're someone who's saying, but I don't know how to do it. What if I still mess up? What if I again go back into a pattern? Hey, this is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit enabling us. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That is the purpose of Ruach HaKodesh in your life. He wants to assist you. When you renounce all that is false, when you renounce the things that are not pleasing to him, he will enable you to do that which pleases God. So with this understanding, can you just close your eyes? And can I just pray over you that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. That he will speak truth into the deepest parts, the inmost parts of your life. That he will set you free from all that has been holding you bondage. Those secrets which threaten to destroy you, the Holy Spirit wants to set you free from today. The secrets which could damage your marriage irreparably, the Holy Spirit is saying, hand it over to me. I want to work in your life. I want to restore your marriage. Maybe those secrets from your childhood, which are drowning you every time you close your eyes. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I love you so much. I want to restore you. I want to restore you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to come into that logical mind of yours, your beautiful brain that I've given you. I want to change it. I want to put my truth into it so that you will speak the truth to others. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Will you open up your hearts? Will you open up your minds? And when you let the Holy Spirit of truth, we pray that you will cleanse each one of us. Cleanse us, O oh Father. Cleanse every part of us. Thank you, Lord, that you showed us what you desire. You desire truth in the inmost parts. You desire, O oh Father, a true repentance. And so today, Lord, we come before you asking you to convict us of sin. Any sin, Lord, that has been displeasing to you, convict us of it. Convict us, O oh Father, and cleanse us again. 
Cleanse us once again. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to keep working on our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you are doing. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, the spirit of truth wants to work in us for as long as we have breath in our bodies. He wants to work in us until the return of Jesus or until we reach eternity. And so will you, on a constant basis, maybe, you know, every week, take some time, one hour a week maybe, where you just sit alone in his presence and you say, Lord, convict me of things that I messed up in. Because so often we do and say things that we don't even realize we have messed up in. But if you just spend some time alone with him, we just play some quiet music, sit quietly with him. Could be just half an hour, 45 minutes. Sit in his presence and say, Lord, spirit of truth, convict me, cleanse me. And you will find that your walk with him will be so amazing. And your life outside of that, you know, your going out, your coming in, your work life, your parenting life, your marriage, you will find it so much more victorious, so much more abundant because of the spirit of truth moving so fast and deep in your life. So I pray that you will experience this. I pray that it will change your life. And I pray that you'll have an amazing week ahead. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.